All right, are we ready? Are we ready for the word? Yes. Hallelujah. So this is the time of the year when prophets start prophesying, and uh, some will prophesy, you know, to nations, some will prophesy to regions and countries, some will prophesy in their churches, so I'm going to prophesy in my church. Amen. Is that okay? So, but just very quickly, I, I was just casually on Facebook, and I saw a young man of God, and he's right, he says 2022 will be the year that the river flows, and he's right, Amen. The river's going to flow in 2022. Is that okay? It's another prophet that we know and love. And uh, his prophetic word for the next year is prepare for change. Or change is coming. Are you prepared? Yeah. Now, one thing that I want to just mention about that is that change always comes. Changes are constant. <laughs> so things are going to change. Things have changed. Things will always change. Change is constant. Isn't that right? You know, we're growing up. I'm still growing up. You know, I'm not yet fully grown up. Still got some more growing to do because I'm still so young. But, you know, as you grow, even your body changes. But everything changes. Change is part of life. But sometimes there are significant changes and we need to be prepared. Is that okay? So we've seen amazing change happen in the last two years. Things happened that took us by surprise. It caught all the prophets of God. Nobody was prophesying a pandemic and a virus or anything like this. But that's okay. We don't have to. We've got a constant in the Word of God. Amen. No matter what happens. Is that okay? And so God does not change. Yesterday, today, forever the same. And Paul, the writer to the Hebrews, encourages us to look at our leaders and to emulate their faith in the outcome of their life. And then he basically bypasses them and he heads straight to Jesus. And he says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. So, you know, if we haven't got leaders to look at, look at Jesus. Yeah. Look at Jesus anyway. Yeah. Okay. But there's a psalm that I want to read to you that I believe describes what we've been through in the last two years. Are you all ready? So I'm going to read it to you, and I think it's going to be in the King James translation. It's seven verses. Can we read seven verses? Okay, great. So Psalm 14 from verse 1. And then I'm going to just read and comment. Is that okay as we go through? Listen to this. This is David writing to the chief musician. He says, a Psalm of David. And then he starts off, and there's a few places where it says it. I think Psalm 53 is another one. He says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. So just hold that there. It's very interesting that the word fool in Hebrew is the word Nabal. And Nabal is quite interesting. I don't know if you remember the story when David was on the run, one of the occasions when he was on the run, and he took some young men and he sent them to a wealthy man, and his name was Nabal, and his wife was Abigail. And um, he was asking for help and asking for supplies. And basically, Nabal just um, spurned him. I think it's in 1 Samuel 25. Just, you know, sort of scorned him and his messengers. And then Abigail had enough sense to run after it and say, no, my Lord, and then took supplies. But it was something that David did not forget. But it's very interesting, the story about Nabal. But 1 Samuel 25 verse 1 says he was churlish. Churlish. That's a good English word. In other words, he was just not a nice person. Churlish sounds good. You know, like a churlish dog is an angry, snappy, bitey, bad mood dog. So Nabal, the fool, was a churlish person and full of evil doing. So this is a little bit of, that's not included in your offering. This is outside of your offering. Is that okay? 
So this is just bonus. But the word Nabal, if you look it up in the Bible dictionaries, means an arrogant person, dense morally, intellectually, and spiritually. So when God says, the fool says in his heart there is no God, God is basically saying they're extremely dense. That okay? So any atheist watching, God said it, not me. All right. And so to the chief musician, a psalm of David, the fool has said in his heart. But it's very interesting. Here David is not talking to the individual. He's actually talking to a nation. He's talking to the Israelites. He's talking to his own people. And he says, they are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. So what David is saying is that by implication, by what they're doing, by their works they're saying, there's no God, as if they will not one day be held to account. Are you all following me, church? And so, you know, a lot of times we look and, you know, we've been through COVID. We all know that there's people behind this whole thing and they're making a lot of money and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, without going into it. But they will be held accountable. By their actions, they are fools because they are acting as if there is no God and that they will not be held to account. But listen to this in verse 2. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and see God. Now that verse, to me, is so powerful. Because what David does is he comes to us as the righteous and he is saying, listen, I want you to understand God is all-seeing and all-knowing. And he looks down from heaven and he's looking on the affairs of mankind. But not only on that, he's looking down into the lives of every single individual. And he's looking, do you understand that, number one, that he is God? And number two, are you seeking him as such? Okay? So to understand and to seek God. Listen to what he says about them. They've all gone aside. They've all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Now, it's very interesting that this is the very verse that Paul quotes in Romans chapter 3 when he's establishing the fact that there's no one righteous on earth. No one. Not even the Jews who were keeping the law. And he was saying, they break the law that they've got. The Gentiles don't have a law and they're sinning, but the Jews equally. And so what he was trying to show us is that everybody sinned. All have gone astray. Everyone is accountable to God. And that's why God introduces the new way of righteousness by faith through Jesus Christ. Is that okay? It comes from this psalm. And then he says this, have all the workers of iniquity no knowledge who eat up my people? So I'm saying to you, church, there's coming a reaction from God because of this COVID thing. Is that okay? And it says this, there's none that good, you know, have all the works of no knowledge, who eat up my people as they eat bread and call not upon the Lord. Then he goes on to say, they were in great fear, and they will be in great fear, for God is in the generation of the righteous. Watch it. For God is in the generation of the righteous. Yes, I love this verse, eh? So God is amongst us. The righteous, God is amongst us. God is amongst us. He sees those who understand and who see God. So he's in the generation of the righteous. Now, I don't want to go too far into this because I want to take you a bit further. He goes on about them. You have shamed the counsel of the poor. The poor doesn't mean physically, financially poor. He's talking about those who are poor in spirit. Those who depend on him. He says, you have shamed the counsel of the poor. 
because the Lord is his refuge. And because God is our refuge, and then David ends the psalm like this. He said, oh, that salvation of Israel would come out of Zion. When the Lord bringeth back the captivity of his people, Jacob shall rejoice and Israel shall be glad. Now, this was not written about the Babylonian exile. It could be prophetic of that, but David was writing to his people and saying, God, you need to take them out of the captivity of their ignorance of you. Salvation needs to come out of Zion. God, you need to bear your holy right arm, and you need to show that you're in the generation of the righteous. Bring people out of the captivity of sin and ignorance. He says, then Jacob shall rejoice, and Israel shall be glad. Two ways of saying the same thing. Is that okay? And so I like what G. Campbell Morgan says about this psalm, a commentator. He says, the thought of the whole psalm is the safety of godliness and the peril of ungodliness. Does that give you a bit of encouragement? God sees. God knows. God knows what's happening, and he's going to be held accountable. Now, we're going to jump from David, who was a king, but he was also a prophet, but we're going to jump across to another prophet. We're going to see what this prophet says in Ezekiel chapter 14, and we're going to look at verse 14, then we're going to look at verse 20. Ezekiel 14 says this, though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they should deliver but their own souls by their righteousness, says the Lord. What is God saying through the prophet Ezekiel? The prophet Ezekiel is saying, even if Noah, Daniel, and Job were able to come back from the dead and be living in this generation amongst you people, even if they were there, they would only be able to save their own souls by their righteousness because you've sinned so much that judgment is going to come. He repeats it in verse 20. Though Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, as I live, saith the Lord God, they shall deliver neither son nor daughter. They shall but deliver their own souls by their righteousness. Now, church, I want you to listen to me, and I'm going to select one of these guys, and we're going to just look at it, and I believe it's the word for 2022. These three, Noah, because of his righteousness, saved eight, basically saved humankind. Job, we know, saved all of his friends when he prayed for them. Others were delivered, and God said it to him. Others will be delivered through the cleanness of your hands. It's written in Job. Daniel, we know, through his prophetic work in the book of Daniel, and he's the guy I'm going to look at, because he's the guy I'm studying in writing the book. And Daniel, through his writings, saved a nation. His prophetic work, the book of Daniel. Others were delivered by the cleanness of his hands. So here it is. Israel had sinned so badly that God said, even if you repent now, it's too late. You're going into captivity. Judgment is not even Noah, Daniel, and Job, if they were living in. They would deliver their own souls. So number one, church, your righteousness will always deliver you. Is that okay? Your righteousness will always deliver your own soul. But, to quote Job, but others will be delivered through the cleanness of your hands. So I'm going to, from there, just launch into 2022 and the word that I believe for 2022. Change is coming. Are we prepared? I believe that what I'm going to share with you will prepare us for change. Is that okay? And so I want to just have us to look at it. 
It's interesting that Daniel, I believe there's a parallel between Daniel and the time that he lived in and our times now. I believe that there's a strong parallel. So for me, the character or the characteristics of Daniel need to be our characteristics because of the similarities of times that we are living in. It's interesting, you know, it, it was somewhere around 603, 605 BC that Nebuchadnezzar raided and they basically started to deport and take out. And Daniel and his friends were probably, Daniel was probably 15 years old. And he was taken captive and he was amongst the elite, the wise, the learned. And um, that was their policy. They would come in and take the skilled the wise, the learned, and they would deport them, take them to their nation. They would replace them with people from other nations so that you couldn't rebuild a national identity and revolt against your captors. And so 15 years old, he was taken, probably castrated, so that he could go into the king's service and never be tempted to deal with any of the king's harem. And having to learn a different language, fit into a different culture, I mean, the temptation to blend, because you have been completely demoralized, you have been completely broken down, and you've been incorporated into another culture. But it's very interesting that it was the age of empires, because King Nebuchadnezzar has this dream of the statue, head of gold, and so on and so on, and Daniel was able to interpret the dream, and the whole book of Daniel deals with successive kingdoms, successive empires that were coming, and the role that they would play, specifically their connection to the people of God, Israel and Judah. And so God showed him what was coming. And it's interesting, he said to Nebuchadnezzar, you are the head of gold. Now I want to tell you, he went down succeeding empires, Medo-Persian Empire, Grecian Empire, Roman Empire, and then the Roman Empire split up into other empires. Around about 10 generals began to lead the empire after that. But it's very interesting that as Daniel talks through this age of empires, we see how empire after empire was after world domination. Everybody say it, world domination. How many of you can see that right now we're in a place where it's not specifically empirism, but it's a group of people who want to dominate the whole world through their money? And they're increasing their personal financial worth and you know, the thing about money, money gives you power. Money gives you a say. Is that okay? You know, one of the reasons why God has an issue with rich people is not because they're more wicked than poor people. I mean, there's wicked poor people. You know what I'm saying? And God doesn't have an issue with that. What God has an issue with, with wealth, God has an issue with the fact that it gives you a sense of independence, a false sense of confidence, and a power and a say that you've never earned. So we're seeing that today. And so it's interesting, you know, that in order for us to enter 2022, because that stuff is all happening, we kind of need to stand up and be like Daniel. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. And be a generation like Daniel. You know, he obtained power and influence in his lifetime. His ministry, if you could call that, lasted about 75 years. He went through two, even though the Medo-Persian Empire combined, but he went through the Medo-Persian Empire, and at age 90, he was still influencing the most powerful men in the world, the most powerful nations in the world. How did this little, humble, 15-year-old 
who was deported, who was incorporated into a new culture, how was he able to stand before kings and rulers and have an impact on them and deliver his nation? How was it possible? Because, you know, Daniel was the one that read Jeremiah's prophecies and saw, man, the captivity is supposed to be 70 years. And that's why he started saying, okay, well, if that's what the prophet Jeremiah says, I will pray three times a day. I'll open my windows to the direction of Jerusalem. I'll get on my knees, and I will pray that this prophetic word is fulfilled for my nation. And it was fulfilled. And it was under Cyrus that the decree went forth to repatriate the Jews and to go and rebuild the nation. But Daniel was the one responsible because he was the one that went into the word to see what was supposed to happen. Is everybody following me? So I don't want to say too much more about Daniel and keep us too long. But the thing that is important for us is that we can have an impact on our generation. Is that okay? So I love the way Jenny prayed when she said that kidnapping is not part of South Africa. Is that okay? Because God has spoken prophetic words for this nation many, many times. There are prophecies that are hanging over this nation that are not yet fulfilled. Is that okay? And things need to start happening. But we don't even need the prophecies. We can just look at the word and see that righteousness exalts a nation. And we can see how far removed as a nation we are from that. And we can also kneel three times a day and start to supplicate God and petition God and say, God, you need to restore righteousness to this nation. Are you all following me? And so I want to bring out four characteristics of Daniel that I believe needs to be characteristics for us as believers for the church of Jesus Christ. I believe as we do it, yes, the river will flow. I believe as we do it, yes, we prepared for change. Amen. Yeah. Amen. And so we need to be as Noah, as Daniel, and as Job in our generation, and others eventually delivered through the cleanness of our hands. All right. I don't want to go too much into the book of Daniel, but you understand how he interpreted dreams, the handwriting on the wall, then he saw visions of four animals that related to the thing of the statue. And the thing that I wanted to say to you is Nebuchadnezzar, when he was the head of gold, now you know that the head controls the whole body. So the spirit that was in the head of gold, of the statue, the spirit that was behind empirism and kingdom building and people wanting to take over the world, that same spirit that began with Nebuchadnezzar, went all the way down through the Medo-Persian Empire, down through the Grecian Empire under the rulership, the leadership of Alexander the Great, right down through the Caesars, all wanted to take control of the world. The amazing thing is that God just used all of them to do certain things, to release certain things, to put certain things into place. And it's amazing. Greek culture and Roman communication and roads needed to be put in place for the gospel to be spread. So it was necessary for them to come. Is that okay? And then God said, all right, time is up. You've served your purpose. Down. And now Paul could go on Roman roads. Is that okay? He could follow because all the cities were connected. And he preached the gospel in the whole of the then known world because of Rome, because of the Caesars. And because of Alexander the Great and the way they united the world through the Hellenistic or Greek culture. And so a lot of the New Testament is written in the Greek language. Isn't that one of the most powerful languages in the world? And God put everything in place for the sake of the gospel. 
Come on, church. That's a good place to say amen. So let's forget about who's behind it, deep state, this person, big farmer, whatever, whatever. It is what it is. It's there. But God will use all of that for the sake of the kingdom. Is that okay? And you know that Zoom and um, you know, all the Google platforms, they were not created for business. They were created for the gospel. So number one, that in 2022, more than ever, we need to be a people of power. Everybody say amen. People of power. And that comes through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Is that okay? There are powerful people and there are powerful people. But people who are spiritually powerful are the most powerful people. And that comes, and I don't want to take too long because you know what it takes to have a relationship with the Lord Jesus. But listen to what Daniel says. So I want to give you a little bit of a background. I feel like it will be helpful if I give you a little bit of a background. As we go through the book of Daniel, 1 to sort of 10, Daniel begins to see God in chapter 10, but then from chapter 11, the angel Gabriel comes, and it seems like there's another angel that's with Gabriel. And they come to just explain what is going to happen. Now you've got to understand that God gave Daniel the broad brushstrokes, basically of Babylonian Empire will be taken over by the Medes and the Persian, the Medo-Persian Empire. And then they will be taken out by the Grecian Empire under Alexander the Great. And then they will be taken out by the Roman Empire, the legs of iron. And so those four successive, and, and Daniel's ministry spanned the first two, possibly touching on to the third empire. But he didn't speak into Alexander the Great's life, which was a great pity. He might have helped him. But by then, enough had been accomplished for the restoration and the repatriation of the Jews to their own land. But from chapter 11, God gives Daniel this incredible blueprint of what's going to happen. Now, I've been studying this because of the book, so I've got to summarize it and put it in the chapter in the book. When the Grecian Empire started under Alexander the Great, it eventually broke up and he started to lose power and then sort of Let's call them generals. You know, other generals began to just divide up the empire and start ruling. And so if you read in Daniel chapter 11, and it's just amazing to me how many, so many end-time preachers, they take it, kings of the north and kings of the south, and they give it a modern, yeah. a modern spin. But it's not. It's all historic. It all happened already. So the kings of the north and the kings of the south are, they, it's just that the kings of the north was a kingdom north of Judea, where the people of God were. The kings of the south were that area south, you know. So it didn't come down to South Africa or Australia. It was just the area just south of Judea, where the people of God were. And basically, both those kingdoms were offshoot of Alexandria's once united empire. The kingdoms of the north was under Seleucus, one of the generals. And he started right from there, and then he went right into Western Asia. So the Seleucus Empire, or the Seleucid Empire from Syria, went all the way right across into Asia. The kings of the south was predominantly Egypt, and it was under Ptolemy. And then so it became known as the Ptolemaic Empire. Is that all good? Are you all with me? And so here was Judea, the people of God, Stuck in the middle with you, you know. They were the filling in the sandwich. But you couldn't believe it. But this was Hellenistic Greek. That was Hellenistic Greek. Two different, but they were always fighting each other. 
Then they were making alliances. Then they were fighting. Then they were giving daughters in marriage. Then they were fighting again and all this kind of thing. And stuck in the middle was Judea, the people of God. And the Seleucid Empire had a treaty, a sovereignty treaty with Israel, with Judea, the people of God. And basically that is, if you don't give us X amount of money every month, we come and smash you up. So it was a modern-day protection racket. So we'll protect you from the Ptolemies, but you give us the bucks. We want so much oil, so much wheat, so much money, so much this. So it wasn't a bilateral agreement. It was just, you know, the guy with the gold makes the rules. And that was the Seleucid Empire. So all of this is going on. And in detail, in detail, Daniel shows how, you know, there's going to be all this backwarding and forwarding. And so... At times, the kings of Judah were then going like, e, the Ptolemaic kingdom is getting stronger. Let's go to them for protection. And God was saying, don't do that. Trust me, I'm your king. And then it would be going like to this, you know, and the kings of the north, who do we associate with? Who do we, who, how do we get out of this? And God kept saying, hang on, guys. I'm your God. Trust me. Listen, church, we don't have to make an alliance with the world. You don't have to go into partnership with anybody. You can trust God because you're in a relationship with Him. Amen. Amen. Now, I want you to notice that in the middle of all this, and I know I took time to say it and give you a history lesson, but in the middle of this, listen to what Daniel says. And such as do wickedly against the covenant. Now, he's talking about the Jewish people, the, the Judeans, the people of God. And he's saying there are some that will do wickedly against, they will go against the covenant again and align themselves with the world and with other kings, instead of sticking with the covenant, with the word of God, with the laws of God, the rules and the principles of God, and they're going to start you know, making political alliances. And he says, and shall be corrupt by flatteries. In other words, what they'll do is listen to the political language of these kings and go, no, 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 come and stick with us. We'll help you. We'll make you prosperous. Look how this is just stick with us, man. You know, your God hasn't been able to protect you. Come, we'll look after you. Look at the size of our armies. We can defend you. And some were vacillating and going because of being flattered by these kings. But listen to this. Daniel says, Daniel 11 verse 32, But the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. Come on, that's a good place to say amen. And... uh, Later, or earlier, it says this, and in his estate shall stand up a vile person, one of those kings, to whom they shall not give the honor of the kingdom, but he shall come in peaceably and obtain the kingdom by flattery. So Daniel was warning prophetically ahead of time, one of those kings are going to come. They're not going to take the kingdom. They're not going to take Judea, the land of promise. They're not going to take it by force but they're going to flatter you, and then you're going to give it to them. Church, me just sound it out loud and clear. As the church of Jesus Christ, we need to beware of the flatteries of the world and stick with the word of God and be people of principles. You know that Balaam, are you all listening? Do you know that Balaam, King Balak called Balaam the prophet, and he says, I see these people, they're coming like, they're like the sand of the seashore, and I hear God is with them. Yeah. 
And uh, King Balak is terrified because when the people of God come through over here, you know, amazing things happen. They're a rabble. They're still technically slaves. They haven't been trained so much in the art of war and this kind of thing. But, but, but when these guys come through here, their God will fight for them. Yeah. And we're toast. We're finished if they come through. So Balaam, name your price. This is what I'll give you. You stand there and you curse them. So you know the story how he stood over at this angle and he looked down and then he describes them in their tents and it's magnificent language. And I mean, it's just glorious. And the weakest and the most miserable of people and God says the most incredible things about them. Come on, church. You know, we're the bride of Christ. We're his wife. You know, we're the apple of his eye. And people can look at the church, yeah, and the church is full of hypocrites and yeah, 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 and all of this kind of thing. Hey, this is the people that Jesus loves. Amen. You know, he's in the generation of the righteous. Yeah. yeah, we're not perfect, but we are being perfected. Amen. Is that okay, church? Come on. You still can't touch the church of Jesus Christ. It is an expression of his kingdom. And so the third time he looks and he realizes, I can't curse them. I can't. But then, do you know what Balaam did? And that's why he's listed in the book of Jude. He basically went to the king, to King Balak, and said, listen, you won't be able to curse these people. They're uncursable because God has blessed them. But what you can do, because God has told them that they're not to take wives from other nations, you can send your Moabite seductresses in and let the men fall for them, and that sin will bring down the judgment of God. And that's what they did. And that was one reason why Israel then went into a period of judgment. Come on, church, because they compromised. And so the world will try and flatter you. You won't go and give them the kingdom, but they will try and take it by other means, by fear, by seduction, by whatever. Are you all with me, church? So we won't give away the kingdom. So how do we hold on to it? Number one, we need to be people of power. I love what David Brainard said, oh, that I could begin this year with God and spend the whole of it to his glory either in life or in death. The whole of it to his glory. And if we take that, I think we will be people of power. I don't want to take too much longer with that. But it's incredible how Daniel gives them the blueprint of timing right the way up chapter 11, particularly until Antiochus Epiphanes and then the Maccabean revolt, which takes us right up to the brink of New Testament time. And so the Jews in their hands had a timetable from God to tell them when the Messiah was coming. Isn't that awesome? Second, second thing. So the first is we need to be a people of power, church, more than ever before. You know that it always stuck in my mind, not this house here, the one that we will buy. But that house over there, in the early years, when Bev and I first came, there was a Dutch lady living there. And um, she was not interested in church and whatever, but I think because of our persistence and the sound of worship and stuff like this, one day she came to church. And um, she told me, but of course she was more Dutch Reformed, but she came to church and she, I visited with her after the meeting and then she just began to tell me She said, I was not a believer. She said, I became a believer. She said, I was in Holland, and um, there was a big crusade. And she said, and I started to hear about 
the miracles. And he said, but you know, us Dutch people, we're very uh, cerebral, very mental. And um, everything is rational and can be reasonably explained. And she said, and I decided to catch the train and go to this crusade. And it was T.L. Osborne. And he was preaching in Holland. And she said, and I went and I was near the front and I witnessed the most amazing miracles in front of my eyes. Undeniable. She said, because of the way us Dutch are, like the Germans and the Swiss, you know, in fact, by and large, Europeans. And she said, it was such an assault and an affront to my whole psyche, my mindset. She said that I was in such a state of shock. She says, I don't even remember how I got home. Because I witnessed the miraculous. Come on, church. It's time for the world to see the undeniable power of God by people who know their God and do great exploits. The second thing is that we not only need to be a people of power, but a people of purpose. Purpose. We have to live. You know, so many Christians live their Christian lives more orientated to their jobs or their careers, and they happen to be Christians. And we study for our jobs. That's a good thing. And we're looking always for promotion and think that's a good thing as well. And we're looking for more money. That's great. But it's almost as if the majority of Christians, their Christianity is a tag-on thing, and it's just their ticket into heaven one day when they die. And we've got to live much more purposefully and intentionally as believers than ever before. Come on, church. We need to be, as what Jesus said, salt of the earth and the light of the world. We need to have such an impact in the world. So we need to live, the catchphrase in Christian circle is we got to live with intentionality. In other words, how do I? I need to have a purpose in my life. Now, if you've got a purpose for your career, that's fantastic. But all of us need to take out from the Word of God our purpose as believers. What is our reason for being? Why are we in existence? Why do we live? Why are we in this generation, this age, this time, and not another time? I believe that we are living in the greatest times ever. I believe greater than the times of Paul or any of the others. We are living in the most opportune times. But we need to live purposefully. Is that okay? In other words, I need to purposefully do everything I can to be the salt and the light of the world. No clandestine Christian. I've been saying it for the last couple of years. You know, there's a part of truth in it, but it's only a part of truth when people say, preach the gospel by all means and use words if necessary. Well, that's not altogether true. It sounds fantastic. But we need to use words. Paul said that words may be given me. And yes, we live a right life and be an example, but we also need to be people who speak. That's why we have a prophetic anointing on us. Is that okay? Because we are declarers, foretellers of the good news of the gospel. We are disciples of Jesus Christ. And so, you know, by all means, on all platforms, on all levels, we need to be living for Jesus, speaking for Jesus. Yes, there mustn't be a contradiction between what you say and how you live. But the thing is, you can't just win them by how you live without saying anything. Come on, church. We need to live purposefully. So we need to be people of purpose. Is that okay? And uh, it's very interesting that it says this in Daniel chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. 
So when they came and the king said, fatten these kids up, you know, I want them. Daniel said, no, no, we can't eat that food because that's against the principles of God, the law of God. We can't eat that food. Allow us. And it goes on to say, he says, he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat, nor with wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now, God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. Isn't it amazing? The guy in charge had a tender love for Daniel. Why? Because he was principled. Come on, church, you know it and I know it. The world does not respect a Christian who doesn't stand to principles. They want us to live the life. But Christians do not have the respect of the world if we're constantly compromising principles. Are you with me, church? So we need to be people of purpose. So, and again, in Daniel chapter 10, verse 12, he's trying to understand these visions. And it says this. So Gabriel comes again. He says, do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind. So we need to be purposeful. We need to set our minds to live purposefully. He says, to gain understanding and to humble yourselves before your God. Your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. Listen, church, if we live purposefully, God puts heaven's resources at our availability, at our disposal. So when we live purposefully, the more purposefully I live, the more resources I experience. Live purposefully. Live intentionally. Live according to the pattern of God's word. You know, if you have a willingness to put God first, God will grant you favor and favor in the sight of others. It's really amazing. And that attracts favor, favor with the world. And so it's important. The third thing is he was a person of principle. Was that okay? You got it all there now. So power and uh, purpose. The third thing, you can see I'm nearly finished, is a person of principle. So Daniel says this in Daniel chapter 1. He says, verses 12 and 13, Prove thy servants, I beseech thee, ten days. And let them give us pulse to eat and water to drink. Then look at our countenance. Let our countenance be looked upon before thee, and the countenance of the children that eat of the portion of the king's meat. And as thou seest, deal with thy servants. So Daniel was basically saying, let us live by the principles of God, and those that don't, then look at us and see the difference. In other words, the world needs to see the difference in us because we live by the principles of God. Amen? It says this, Psalm 15 verse 4, Who despises a vile person, but honor those who fear the Lord, who keep an oath even when it hurts, and does not change their minds. So we need to stick with our oath to God, our promises to God. We need to stick and do not change our minds. Is that okay? One of the most awesome things about my trip to Egypt, and I wonder if we were in the same situation, what we would do. The persecution between the Muslims and the Christians is sometimes extremely overt, but most times it's covert. It's subtle. For example, if they found out that you're a Christian, they will fire you from your job. And there's no recourse. There's no, you know, commission that you can run to and say, I was unfairly dismissed because it's all biased because it's Muslim. There's no human rights there. 
when we go there, when I would go there, every time I'd go, they would remind me, do not preach the gospel to a Muslim. Don't speak about politics and do not speak about human rights because you will be jailed. And they are scorned for being Christians. So you know what the majority of Christians do? It happened to one of the leaders. She was wearing a, a gold chain with a cross on it. And a Muslim guy, as he walked past in the street, grabbed the cross and ripped it off and sucked up a good gobi and spat in her face for being a Christian. And that's what they live with. And many of the men do this. They say, I want them to know that I'm a Christian. So when we shake hands, I want them to see. So they all tattoo crucifixes on their hands here. So they say, so when I greet them and I shake their hands, I must look down and see the cross of Christ. And if I get persecuted, if I get fired, if I lose my job, so what? They stick with their purpose. They stick with their principle. Maybe that's why God is doing so many miracles in the Middle East. Maybe that's why Iran is the place of the greatest revival in the world at the moment. Come on, church. Those that know their God shall be strong and shall do great exploits. So we need to be people of principle because the world admires principles. And then lastly, people of prayer. More than ever before, Daniel was an incredible man of prayer. All the way through, you see how he prayed. I mean, he was thrown into the lion's den because he prayed. I mean, none of us, none of us face that. That if you're caught praying, you'll be thrown to ravenous lions to be torn limb from limb. We don't face that. Maybe if we did face that kind of persecution, maybe we'd pray more. Maybe that's why God doesn't mind persecution coming. Because it causes us to rise up. But it doesn't need to happen, church. Amen? But we need to live prayerfully. Now, it says this, Daniel 6, verse 10. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, because remember, there was a setup with the other satraps, and they went to the king, and they said, Oh, king, live forever. May your kingdom, whatever, 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 whatever. It was all the preamble, the flattery, you know, yeah. to get there. And he said, Let it be signed that no one's allowed to pray to any other god, you know, you know, during this time, and all that kind of thing. So the king says, Yeah, it's the law of the Medes and Persians. Do as you seem fit. So it's signed, and it's put into law. Anybody caught praying will be thrown to the lions. As soon as Daniel hears the writing was signed, what does he do? He goes home. In his upper room, with his windows open towards Jerusalem, as always, he kneels down on his knees three times a day and prays and gives thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. Come on, church. And so more than ever, people of prayer. Listen, God answers prayer. Amen? God answers your prayers. God hears your prayers. Remember Psalm 14. God's looking down and he says, oh, you understand. You seek me. I am in the congregation of the righteous. Come on, church. I know that maybe you wanted me to prophesy. You know, it's going to be great money this year and it's going to be this and everything like this. But I want to give you something that will put you in that place. Maybe you want me to prophesy, yes, the river is flowing. Yeah, you do this, the river will flow for you. Is that okay? You do this, you'll be prepared for change. Changes are constant. You'll be prepared. But be a person of prayer more than ever before. So like Daniel, we need to pray to demonstrate 
Number one, our humility. In other words, our dependence on God. Like Daniel, we need to kneel and pray to demonstrate our dependence on God, but also our gratitude that in the midst of whatever, we are still grateful to God because God is in charge. That is a, an atmosphere that is an attitude of faith in Him. Amen? And I want to tell you that this is the way that we will get ahead. This is the way you will advance. This is the way you will get promoted. This is the way you will get your increases. This is the way you live for God. God says all those who trust in Him shall never be put to shame. So my conclusion is 2022, we're in times that are in a sense unique. We've never experienced, and I'm going to say it, and people can call me a conspiracy theorist, a man-made virus that was pushed to give Big Pharma a boost. And it's there in black and white that the top percentage of people in the world in the last 18 months during COVID have increased their personal wealth by 137 billion U.S. dollars. It's there. It's there. The reports are there. So who's getting the money? Those that have manipulated something out of this. They've increased their personal wealth by $137 billion. It's not their total. They've increased it by. It's wicked. And we've got to struggle for finances and all of that kind of thing. There's a lot of wickedness going on. But listen, God looks down on the sons of men and he's looking. Is that right? But I want to tell you that those that will break through will be those that are powerful because of their relationship with Jesus Christ. That number two, there are people living their Christian lives intentionally. Come on, the world wants to look at us. They want to hear the message we've got because it's good news. But we can't mess it up by living you know, differently to what we speak. So that's why we need to be people of principle. And then lastly, we need to be people of prayer because prayer changes things. God responds to prayer. Come on, church. I just even want to say that in the next month, we're going to see gangs, at least one gang exposed because we prayed today, you know, breaking open that kidnapping thing. Amen. And we're going to see them fall one after the other. Rings are going to, it must get out of South Africa. Amen. All wickedness must get out. But we, then we need to be a people of prayer. Do we not understand that our lifestyles, the way we live according to our principles, affects our prayer? The more pure, the more powerful the prayer. God is in the generation of the righteous. Hallelujah. So can I prophesy to you all, God is going to bless you in 2022. <laughs> the river's going to flow. Amen. You're going to handle all change. Great breakthrough is coming for all of you. But let's remember, let's be people of power because of our relationship with Jesus. Let's be people of purpose. And we need to be as purposeful with our Christian lives as we are with our businesses and our jobs. Number three, we need to be people of principle. Do not break the principles of God. We are standing in time-sensitive days. We are in a critical hour. Is that okay? Now, I want you to know this. That Antiochus Epiphanes, the great persecutor of Israel, the one who came in and destroyed the temple, do you know what Antiochus Epiphanes is? He named himself. God manifest. And God brought him down. Come on, church. The world is setting itself up as God, but God is going to bring it down. Because those that know their God shall be strong and do great exploits. Amen. Did anybody get anything out of that word? Amen. I wanted to say that more than 
you know, say the Lord will bless you and all that kind of thing, which he will. He will. It's in his word. But I really believe that it's time for the church to rise up, and these are four principles, four things that we need to have in place. So from my right, the Lord bless you. The Lord turn his face towards you. The Lord cause his grace, his mercy, his peace to be upon you, his countenance face towards you. The Lord give you peace. The Lord give you healing and prosperity. The Lord give you joy. The Lord give you strength and energy for this year. The Lord give you great breakthroughs and great victories. The Lord bless your finances. The Lord bless your families. The Lord bless your coming and your going. You're sitting, you're rising up, you're sleeping, your work. The Lord bless you at play or at work. The Lord bless you in every facet of your life in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so shall you be blessed. And what God has blessed, the enemy cannot curse. You're uncursable. Uncursable. Blessed in Jesus' name.